Welcome, church. It's good to see everyone. Glad to be here this morning. Well, I'm glad you are, because I'm glad to be here. Glad to see each and every one of you. So, just a recap from last week, what we tried to do here, we started in Ephesians, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, but we wanted to have an overview of the book, and so just, just a recap, just to make sure you got all your notes right from last week, which I know you took detailed notes, uh-huh, yes. Well, the book of Ephesians really is broken down into three sections. Ephesians 1 through 3 is talking about our wealth, what we have in Christ. We sang a song, just, Eric just led that last song. That is a song that reminds us of the wealth we have in Christ. So when you come to a worship service, many times we, we talk about this idea of, of being reminded of our wealth. Well, there's times that we come and sing music that reminds us of our wealth. That was a beautiful song of doctrine and theology of who Christ is and what he provided for us. The second part of the outline is our walk, and that's Ephesians 4 through 5 is our walk. And we are going to be in that this month. Today we'll continue in what our life needs to look like because of Ephesians 1 through 3. And then Paul added, chapter 6 is this, this view of warfare. Because of what Christ has done, because of our walk needs to look like this, to to resemble Jesus, guess what? Satan is coming coming hard at us, and he is coming with us at warfare. So doctrine, and then how to live out our duty for Christ. We learned about Ephesus. Hopefully you did. Ephesus was, a, was the wealth of the Roman Empire. It was prominent in the time of Paul. Do you remember what goddess they worshipped? Wow, you all flunked. Diana, the, 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 the goddess Diana. She was the god of fertility and birth, childbirth. That was a big influence in religion in that city. Well, we know that they, by third century, they lost their influence in the world for whatever reason. But more importantly, as Jesus wrote those postcards to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we know that, that Ephesus lost its spiritual influence as well. Remember the passage of Scripture in Acts 20, 29, the Apostle Paul told the elders at Ephesus, said, listen, I'm going to go and I know there's going to be wolves that are going to come in among you and deceive you. And that's exactly what happened. We learned that the Apostle John, during his last part of his life, was in the church of Ephesus. He lived there before being exiled to Patmos where he died. And his, he fought with false teachers all the time. Well, we know that Ephesus never retained its spiritual dignity in history. See, Paul wanted these Christians to be reminded of who they were in Christ. Some words. Chosen. Are you glad you're chosen this morning? He predestined us, and that was the idea. We don't understand that all goes into the mind of God, yet we will never understand that, but we rejoice and we're grateful for what God has done for us. We're adopted. We are adopted. We are redeemed. We are bought back from the slave market of sin. These are things that Paul was reminding us. See, Satan wants to put another mindset in our minds of, of who we are. We're sinners. He condemns us. Look what you've done. And God says, listen, this is what I've done through Jesus. This is who you are. I think Paul, in our, with these Christians particularly, wants to realign them in their thinking. How many of you have ever been to a chiropractor? Oh, okay, good. Some hands have gone up. What does a chiropractor do? He realigns your neck or your back. I love getting my neck cracked. 
I love it. What happens? You feel refreshed. Paul here in this area of Ephesians 1 through 3 is refreshing us. Hey, he's realigning us in what we need to be thinking of who we are in Christ. There's two points that we touched on. Every Christian is changed. And number two, our change is secured in Christ. So this morning, our, our title of the message is A Family Resemblance. And let's just start off this morning with this particular story I hope you would find very nice and refreshing. When Tamara Rabbi arrived at Hasser University, fellow students seemed to be unusually friendly to her. People had never laid eyes on her, would smile and wave like she was their new found friend. As a new student, Tamara was caught off guard by their friendliness and their behavior. A few people said she looked like someone else they knew. Well, being from Mexico, she says that anyone that's seen her looked like someone from Mexico. So when a friend of a friend showed up at her 20th birthday party, they could not stop staring at her. She, it was annoying, not surprising. Finally, the stranger named Justin told her that she looked exactly like her friend Adrian Scott, who was also born in Mexico. As they talked further, other odd similarities emerged. Adriana was adopted just like Tamara, and they both shared the same birthday. Justin insisted that they had to be sisters. But Tamara shook her head and says, no, I am an only child, she said. Still, she agreed to let Justin set up a meeting, first over the internet, just to see what everyone is talking about. Thus began the unfolding of a real-life fairy tale. Adriana was raised Roman Catholic in a house with a white picket fence in the Valley Stream on Long Island. And Tamara raised Jewish in an apartment near the American Museum of Natural History in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. They are twins. They were separated at birth because of problems with the adoption process. And they had no idea that they had a sister, let alone twins. They were separated 20 years ago and lived a half hour from each other. It all came to light one evening at a birthday party. Justin arranged for Tamara and Adriana to instantly message one another. They soon discovered that they were indeed both born in Mexico on the same day. They were both 5'3 in height. They both loved to dance. They both used Pantene shampoo. But it, was also, but it was when Adriana sent a picture to herself that the wonder finally hit. The picture of Adriana was Tamara all over again, minus a small birthmark on Tamara's eyebrow. So the twins agreed to meet the following Sunday at the McDonald's near Hofstra University, far away from the hospital they were born at 20 years ago. Awkward conversation and curious glances were shared. Meanwhile, their friends were stunned at their voices, at their similarities. After lunch, they went to meet each other's families, and the mothers stood there jaw-dropped wide-eyed at the family resemblance the two shared. Radically different upbringings and experiences could not erase the obvious. They shared a common DNA that connected them one to another. They both are in contact still today, both graduate with degrees in psychology, and they live happily, believe, in the state of New York. See, when you hear stories like this, it grips us. But even more amazing, the incredible picture of what kind of DNA we have spiritually. 
our Heavenly Father, renovates us. He shapes us. He directs the, li directs the lives of those who truly are followers of Jesus, who are changed by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. In fact, the language in the New Testament makes it very, very clear that when we are sons and daughters of God, when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, there is a radical inward change in our lives. This inward change is pervasive. It is decisive. It is certain. And the New Testament tells us, as we read Pauline epistles, as we read the Gospels, that every true Christian will be different from the world. That is a given. So, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take two verses this morning and just dig in and just dive into the language and just really get to understand what Paul is saying here to the Christians. So let me ask you a question this morning. How many of us have been told we look like someone in your family? Yes, for me, any bald guy that's in my family, I look like him. <laughs> Right? 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 Pastor Frank? Oh, you, you're bald. You look like it anyway. How many of you have been told that you, your mannerisms or the way you do things are like someone in your family? Yeah, all of us. But uh, last August, my grandmother passed away, and so as a family, we went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, this gravesite service. My father works for a funeral home which did the service, it provided the services for uh, the funeral. I got out of the car, had my suit on, the kids and Judy were walking to the gravesite, and this guy from a distance over by my grandmother's gravesite yells me, Hey, you! I'm like, Hey, you're Dale's son! I'm like, who are you, man? I mean, how do you know my dad's name? He goes, you look just like your dad. You walk like your dad. I said, yeah, I, 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 I'm his son. I guess that would happen. Family resemblance. This morning, I want us to get a picture here of what Paul is trying to tell these Christians in Ephesus. Remembering what Christ did for us. Remember last week we talked about how God, how Jesus after his death, before his resurrection, went to Sheol. He then proclaimed victory to the spirits, the, the fallen angels, that I have conquered sin and death. And he took them to heaven as his processional march of victory. Yes, that same God is the one who lives within us, who provides change in our life. Remember, 27 times in the book of Ephesians, the words in Christ are mentioned. We do things in our life because we are what? In Christ. Say that with me. In Christ. So let's just get right into it this morning. Our first principle this morning is this. We need to walk worthy of your call. We need, you need to walk worthy of your call. Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Again, we know Paul, this is a prison epistle. He is under house arrest. We will learn last week he was chained to an imperial guard. And he is giving Tychicus, we believe, is dictating this letter. And he's sitting there, picture it with me. He is chained to a guard and he is telling Tychicus what to tell the church of Ephesus. Let's look at that first word, therefore. It's a transition word. It means as a result of. So he says, therefore, because of what we learn in Ephesians 1 through 3, because of the goodness of God, because of what he has provided for us through Jesus, therefore, transition, here's what he's telling us to do. I urge you. That word urge is a request. It's a plea. It's begging. I plead. I beg you 
to walk. Now let's look at that word walk. In the Greek means to live, to behave, to go about doing. It's not your physical walk. It is how you live your life. I plead, I beg you to live your life, Paul's saying, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So he is pleading to the church of Ephesus, please walk, live life. I beg you in the way that God has called you. That word worthy is very, very interesting. We're going to take just a few moments to, to describe this word. It means pertaining to, keeping, to, pertaining to being fitting or proper and corresponding in what should be expected. Actually, this word in the Greek is axios, which English means axis. It's this idea of a counterbalance. You'll see a picture here of a, of a balance. Picture this scale or balance. When you hear the word worthy, it means to add weight to other side so of the beam. So that is equal. It means a balance of scale. So now that you have that picture in your mind, Paul is saying basically do this, church. Put all that Jesus has done on the cross, all that he has provided for us in chapters 1 through 3. Look at what he has provided for us in our spiritual blessings. Now, place your life on the other side of the scale. How are you living up to that standard? Now, understand this. We, we're not saying you are doing works to get saved. This verse has nothing to do with accepting Christ or salvation. This is our life worthy of the call of Jesus. So we put that scale, Jesus, on one side. What The scale goes like this. And as we live our life, we should be living life worthy to the call of Christ and what he has done for our lives. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul tells the church of Corinth, he says this, examine yourselves. That word examine in the Greek means put to test. Put to test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Again, the church of Corinth lived in a, a, a life, I mean, a city of just, of just debauchery and sex and immorality and drinking and just drunkenness. And there were Christians that were just infiltrating the church that truly weren't Christians. Paul's telling me, listen, examine yourself. See if you're really of the faith. That word, next word, test, means determine the genuineness of your faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you. Church, do you really understand that? That Jesus Christ lives within us, and as we said last week, the power that we have in Christ? You claim to be a Christian this morning, right? Wow, you don't seem, seem very convincing. Yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah. You're a Christian this morning, right? You're here. Prove it. That's what Paul's saying here. Prove it. Not to... Obtain favor with God. God loves you. He chose you. Doesn't matter. He can't love you any more than what he did when he chose you. He loves you. That's not what it's taught. Prove that you're a Christian. How are you balancing that scale this morning? Walk in the manner worthy of your calling. You might ask, how do I prove it? Well, let me just share some things with us. Maybe we've experienced this in our lives after we've come to Christ. There is a change. Our life is changed. Before your salvation, this is the way you lived. After, it's different. And I look across the room, and there's many of you here that had that change. There was a definite change. Number two, habits will be reformed in different directions. You used to do X, Y, and Z over here, and because you came to Christ, guess what? God replaced those habits with things that are good and pure and holy and just. 
all because you came to Christ. Our language gets cleaned up. Some of us in here probably remember a time in our life where we couldn't speak a sentence without having profanity. But as God saved you and he changed you from the inside out, you got through a conversation without profanity. You're like, wow, what happened? It's the Spirit of God in us, changing us. How about those impulses that we've had to be self-centered, self-promoting, self-satisfying pursuits? They're overhauled. Why? Because we're not, living, we're not living, our, living for ourselves. We are living for Christ. There's a sense of wrongdoing when it's presented to us that the Holy Spirit is getting grieved. and We know if we follow this way that it's a bad path and we have to be discerning and listen to that Holy Spirit. Why? Because that Spirit changes us in how we live and how we think. And there's a shift from living for ourselves. We're no longer living for ourselves. We're living for Christ because of chapters 1 through 3 because of what he has done for us why wouldn't we live our life for Christ why wouldn't we see these changes are not negotiable they show our resemblance of who our father is we are a child of the king we are an adopted son and daughter these are a natural byproduct of belonging to the king I didn't say it. The Word of God says it. Paul tells the Christians in Philippians 1.27, the same, uses the same word worthy. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, the life of Jesus... Has, to, has a call, he called us to himself. So we live this life, we walk, as Paul says, it should not be a, a drudgery. It, it, it shouldn't be a chore to follow Jesus. It shouldn't be like how we feel when we wake up Monday mornings, kids or young people, we go to school. I gotta go to school, right, Mason? I gotta go to school. Or some of us gotta go to work. Oh, I gotta go to work. Living for Jesus should not feel that way. If it is, there is a problem. There is a problem. Our lives, understanding what God has done for us, we will live our lives and conduct our way that reflects Jesus Christ, the one who loves us, who saved us, who chose us, who redeemed us, and the list goes on and on and on. See, he gives us a new heart, a new spirit, a new ability to obey. Do you remember the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Here, it was a covert meeting because it was dark at night and, and Nicodemus did not want to be seen talking to Jesus because he was high up in the religious Sanhedrin. The conversation pretty much went like this. Nicodemus was saying, okay, what is this born-again stuff? How, how do I how do I be born? How do I how do I be changed? And verse seven is very interesting. Jesus left them with this. Listen, Nicodemus, in order for you to have this, you must be born again. You must be born again. See, birth when we're born, it inter introduces us to a family. Do you remember that? No, you don't remember the day you were born. Come on, I'm checking on you, sleeping on me. 
We were born into a family. We didn't choose our hair color. We didn't choose what color skin. We didn't choose. I had freckles, man. I didn't want them, but I had them. You called freckle face all through elementary school. We didn't choose those things. We were born into a family. Well, the same is true when we're born into the family of Christ. There are certain things that are a given for us. Barna Research Group is a Christian organization that puts out all kinds of statistics on Christianity. I'm not going to bore you with the statistics this morning. If you want to Google that, you can find out anything about the church, about Christians. And here's, here's, my, here's my, my problem, and, and, and Barna says the same thing. They poll individuals, they call them born-again evangelical Christians. These born-again evangelical Christians don't feel like going to church, and this percent of people don't read their Bible, and this percent say following Jesus is a bore, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole list of things. But when we read the New Testament, the New Testament says that those individuals are not born again. That's the problem. There's individuals that we poll these individuals and they call themselves born again Christians who love Jesus, yet they don't want to go to church. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't stand up for the Lord. They don't believe that, some of them don't believe that Jesus is God. So you have all this mixed emotion and mixed understanding of what a Christian is. You see, Paul told the elders of Ephesus. There's going to be wolves that are going to come in among you and deceive you. Like he told the church of Ephesus. Listen, I believe there's Christians in all churches. They call themselves Christians. And they permeated the churches. Yet they resemble Jesus. Zilch. They resemble Jesus. Zilch. Let's read that verse again. I therefore, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Listen, can you hear Paul's? I plead, I beg you to live your life, to do life in the manner worthy of your calling for which you have been called. So you can answer yes to these questions. I hope you answer yes to these questions. Do you believe that as a Christian you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing? Yes. Wow. Do you believe that God loved you so much that he chose you, predestined you to be adopted through his son, Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you believe that you have redemption through his blood, that you've been bought back from the slave market of sin to be free in Christ? Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, that no one can snatch you out of your father's hand? Yes. Do you believe that you were once dead in your sin? but now been made alive to Christ. Well, good. I'm glad that you believe that. And as Paul says here, I beg and I plead you, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. If you're a Christian and you are, you are finding yourself struggling, we all struggle in our Christianity, but when we live a life that says we're a Christian, but no one sees the resemblance, there is a problem. And it's an easy problem to fix, Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Because we cannot live in a habitual lifestyle of sin and degradation and call ourselves a Christian. We just can't. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. 
Number two, second principle. Call to be, call to a worthy attitude. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Oh, okay, so let's go through these words here. Humility. Humility is, in the Greek, it means it's without arrogance. It's a fundamental part of walking worthy to our call. Because our, 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 the person that we're representing or wanting to resemble is Jesus. So Jesus, in his incarnation of Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Right? He humbled himself. He did not have to come and die for him. He did. He chose to do that. He humbled himself to live the life he did for us. Number 2, John 15, we see Jesus washing the, the disciples' feet. Here's the Son of God coming to die for the sins of the world, and there he is washing his disciples' feet. Humility. You read in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah came into the presence of God, he said, Woe is me, I am nothing. Woe is me. Paul told Timothy in, the, in his prison epistle to, in 1 Timothy, he said this, that he was the worst of all sinners. If there's anyone that could brag about his life and what he did in the world of the positions he held was the Apostle Paul. But he says, listen, I was the worst of sinners. Humility. And we see Peter in Luke 5, a, a story when Peter and the disciples were out fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And they came in for the night. They were out fishing in the wee hours of the morning, came in. Jesus is there on a boat talking to the people in Capernaum. They didn't catch anything. And Jesus tells Peter, Peter, just go back out there and just cast the nets on the other side. Okay, Peter is a fisherman. He would be on the deadliest catch. That's, that's his job. And Jesus was what? A carpenter. But he was the son of God. And Peter, luckily, okay, fine. All right, go on. What do you do? Threw the nets in, grabbed the fish. More than the boat could hold, the nets were ripping. And what did Peter say to Jesus? Jesus, depart from me, I am a sinner. Because of his faith. He lacked faith in who Jesus was and what he could do. Are we humble? Does our humility show that of what Jesus showed? Gentleness. Gentleness just, just, gentleness just means strength under control. I know, guys, it's not something we necessarily want on a resume. Man, he's just so gentle. You're playing sports. You're just a gentle guy. I don't want to be known for being gentle. Right? But gentleness is what Jesus was. In our lives, we want that to reflect. It means being controlled by our master. That spirit controls us, and we're gentle. It's in the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. <clears throat> but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Patience is also in the fruits of the Spirit. Look there, what patience means. It's a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. I believe a beautiful example of patience in the Old Testament was Abraham. Think of Abraham's life. All these things that he was promised, and he never seen the end, did he? But he was patient without complaint. Bearing with one another in love. Now this one here. This one's a tough one. Because I think if we all, any, I think we need work in all those. But this one here, sometimes we need a reminder. 
There's three Greek words. There's many words for the word love in, 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 the, in the Bible. Well, there's three Greek words that we tend to use in our dealings that we would we relate to. One is arios is the physical or the sexual word for love. Okay. Second word is phileo. It's a, the love for fellow man. Philadelphia is what? The city of... Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, it's the city of brotherly love. Phileo. Okay. And then the last word which we are known to, to show that God showed us through Jesus is agape. That is that unselfish. It exists without getting. It's loving when we are not loved. And that's what God did for us. Remember, God demonstrated his love. While for us, while we were still sinners, while we still hated God, while we still despised God, he died for us because he loved us. Ephesians 4.32 tells us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Bearing with one another in love. So gentleness, I'm oh, sorry, no, it would be humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with love. So step back a minute and look careful at these words. Let me ask you a, a couple more questions. Because questions make us think about our life. So look at these words. Does my attitude towards my spouse reflect the resemblance of Jesus? Does my attitude towards my children reflect my resemblance of Jesus? Does my behavior and my attitude on my job Reflect and resemble Jesus in this way. My temperance behind the wheel of the automobile reflects that. Be quiet, Judy, don't say anything. Does my faithfulness to God in small things reflect in these words? How about your willingness to sacrifice? How about my words to and for others? Are they reflected in these words that Paul gave the church? How about my involvement in spiritual opportunities in the church? Does it reflect what he has done for me? Or are we going to settle, as the Barna Group polls many Christians, are we going to settle for the, the, the drowsy, tele, television-soaked, semi-devoted Christian that there's no difference between the world? And their life. Walk worthy of your calling. That's what Paul pleads and begs for us to do. Our last principle this morning is number three, a call for unity. Called to be unified. Called to unity. Let's look at verses three through six. Eager to maintain, that word eager is enthusiastic, so enthusiastic to maintain the unity. And that word unity is a state of oneness, being together, all in one, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Like that word peace there, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Seven times Paul gives what we as a church need to be unified in. Said there, said the color of the carpet, the music. Oh, no, it didn't say that, did it? No. I believe there's three areas that Paul tells us, just in a nutshell. Jesus, the church, and others. 
When you look at the, the, that list, the seven things, it has to, all of them deal with who God is. Who God is this, as our hope. He's the God. He's the Father. He's the Spirit. So we see Jesus, that reflects our doctrine, our theology, what we believe in the Bible, what we believe, what brings us together. So you see those three words, Jesus, the church, and others. That should be our unity. We can agree and disagree on a lot of things, can't we? None of us are agreeing and disagreeing with politics right now, are we? Regardless if we do that or agree or disagree, we're still unified in Christ. Right? I have many friends that have different views, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We can agree to disagree on what kind of music the church plays and what instruments are up here and what we wear. And we can have that conversation, but we can disagree and agree and agree and disagree on that. But we're unified in Christ of what matters. If you would go to our church website and look at our doctrinal statement, we would all in here agree 110% that that is non-negotiable. We believe that that's our unity. These other things in the church that will not matter for eternity why are we arguing? We can agree to disagree, but that, because well, I don't agree with so-and-so on this, that doesn't mean that we're not unified. No, we're unified on the things that Paul says we need to be unified with. Not the color of the carpet. Not the paint. Not about ministries we have or we don't have. We are unified on the gospel. We are unified on what the church's job is to go and make disciples and to evangelize the world around us. Our, our unity is how we love one another and love and forbear love with one another and care for our community and love them to Jesus. That is our unity. Does that make sense? That is our unity. Paul says it right here in this verse. See, we, when we as a church seek unity with one another, this resembles our Jesus. Remember the high priestly prayer in John 17. What did, what did Jesus pray to the Father? Pray that they, we will be one. That they would be one in unity. The disciples and parts of that passage of Scripture talk about the people that are converted because of the gospel, that we be one. In one in what? One in the Lord. One in what Christ has done for us. Because when it's all said and done, church, all these things that we agree to disagree on will not matter. They just won't. But, 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 I, I don't know what to tell you. But what will last for eternity is Jesus. What will last for eternity is the church, us, the people gathered together, as, his, as Revelation describes us, the 24 elders, and people will be in eternity. Right? We need to stay focused and unified on what we are doing about those things. And when we do that, we come together forbearing with one another in love. We resemble our Savior, Jesus Christ. So who do you look like this morning? Literally, you look like one of your family members. Someday, Mason, you or Mitchell probably are going to be bald like your dad. This just is what it is. <laughs> That's how family resemblance goes. Church, do you look more like the world than you do with Jesus? Think of that scale. Do you look more like the world and their actions and their lifestyle and what they do more than you look like Jesus? 
the good news is that can change. A lot of time it's that humility that comes in. That you know what, I never really seen growth in my spiritual life. You know, that balance has never moved because I don't know how to walk worthy of the call. Well, if you're that Christian this morning or the person who called themselves a Christian, God's calling you. And you can humble yourself and trust Christ as your Savior to where now you can start walking in worthy of the calling of your life. Ask yourself, what do I look like? Jesus are the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are grateful for just your word and how it encourages us, it, 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 it convicts us, it admonishes us. Lord, how, how, allow us as we leave here this morning, Father, to ask that question, who do I look like? Do I look like the world or do I look like Jesus? Your head bowed and eyes closed this morning. This is a, 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 a Ephesians is a, is, a, is, a, is a great book. It's, again, it's, it's wealth of doctrine and theology in the first couple of chapters. But really, there are some questions that I think Paul wanted to ask the church and the Christians in Ephesus. He knew the church because when he told them in Acts 20, there's people going to come in and deceive you and, and you're, you're not going to know what to do. I think Satan has deceived us as a church to, you know, I said a prayer when I was three, I said a prayer when I was four, my mom says I'm a Christian, I, but I want you to just now evaluate yourself in your life. I want you to think back in your life from the time you trusted Christ. Okay, what has there been any fruit in my life? Is there a fruit of me reflecting and resembling Jesus Christ at all? I, 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 as Paul said here in Ephesians 4, as, as your pastors, we beg and we plead, we urge you to get that right. Maybe you just need to humble yourself. You know what? I never was saved. I need to make this right today. Do it. You will not regret it. And the burden that will be lifted off your shoulders would be amazing. people has there been a change in your life since you've trusted Christ don't allow your parents to tell you the day you got saved do you remember the moment you called out to God for salvation if not make that decision this morning Pastor Mike's here Pastor Frank's here I'm here your parents are here there's friends here church we need to know know for yourself who you've been resembling. Is it the world or is it Jesus? And maybe we just need to rededicate our life. You know what, I've been, I, I know there's a time in my life where I know I'm saved. I've done this, this, and this. I know I've I, I felt conviction. And great. Maybe there's this, you need a, a recalibration. You need to get adjusted to be that person that resembles Jesus. Make the decision today here you know where we're at in the office throughout the week you can text us you can call us you can we that's the most important decision anyone can make in their life will you do that today and our other brothers and sisters may this be an encouragement to us to continue to walk in the manner worthy of our calling of what christ has done lord thank you for this day thank you for all you've given to us in your precious name amen Let's all stand and sing.